I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Moves, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. Hey, Money Mover family, welcome back to the Money Moves podcast powered by Greenwood. We're back with another installment of Live from Greenwood. As you know, there's quite a rich history of the community before, during, and after the attack took place, and we are here to tell you all of those stories. Hey, Mara Hall here. We are here at the Mabel B. Little Heritage House, and we are about to meet with Miss Michelle Brown, Program Coordinator here of the Greenwood Cultural Center. Let's go learn something today, y'all. Come on. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to be able to show you this home. Thank you. I'm so, so excited to even be here and just learn about the lineage, the heritage, the history, everything that the Maple B. Little Heritage House has to offer. Absolutely. <laughs> so we are standing in the home of Sam and Lucy Mackey. These are portraits of the homeowners here. Mr. Mackey was a landscaper 
And Miss Mackey worked in the home of Rich White Tolsons. Their original home was three blocks north of here. And it was a grand home in itself, but their home was destroyed during the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre. And Mr. Mackey, like many other African Americans in this area, decided that they were going to stand their ground, they were going to stay in the Greenwood District, and they were going to rebuild. However, Mr. Mackey hired an architect who won $1,000 for the design of the home because it was one of the first homes in the area where you could stand at the bottom of the stairs and cut the lights on upstairs, and that was a really big deal. He made this home to be especially convenient for his wife, and it resembled many of the homes that, would, that you would see in rich white neighborhoods. Miss Mackey was a very uh, sh short and petite woman, so you'll notice when we go through the kitchen that the cabinets and countertops were made to be especially convenient for her. He gave her a grand um, staircase, and she was known for having tea parties and mission meetings and get-togethers and wedding receptions. So brides loved making a grand entrance down the staircase. Some of the pieces of furnishings in this home date back to 1865. Wow. So this is a French courting chair. It dates back to 1865, and it was designed so that when a young woman had a male suitor, she would sit in a chair, her, her male suitor would sit in a chair, and then her parent or chaperone would sit in the third chair. <laughs> the uh, organ is, dates back to the mid-1800s. Yes. Let's, take Let's go take a look at the organ. <laughs> Many there were families in the Greenwood District that actually had grand pianos in their homes. And it was one of the things that caused so much envy um, from whites who stated, how dare those Negroes have a grand piano in their home and I don't have one in my home. This home uh, was set for demolition after urban renewal came through the Greenwood District. And the community fought to save this home as an example of how some African Americans were able to live. And so it says on the plaque outside that it is a replica only because we had to move the home section by section and put it back together. But this is the home that he uh, rebuilt for his wife, Lucy. I love that. So you just said some really, really historical points and something that really touched home with me was the envy of uh, white people and how if African Americans had different things like a grand piano, they were very jealous and very envious of that. And that was maybe some of the, the catalyst that started what happened in 1921 because they were very jealous of all of the, the prosperity that African Americans in the Greenwood District had. Could you just expand upon that a little bit? Absolutely. So... This home was located in the Greenwood District, and at that time in 1921, there were hundreds of black-owned businesses lining the streets of Greenwood. From their doorsteps, they could see restaurants and movie theaters, hotels. One of the um, most elaborate hotels owned by a black man in all of America was located in the Greenwood District. It held more than 54 rooms. There were doctors and electricians, the male brother called 
Dr. A.C. Jackson, one of the most able Negro surgeons in America, and he was located in the Greenwood District. And in fact, whites would come over into the Greenwood District to visit with Dr. A.C. Jackson. So there were professionals, um, anything you could imagine wanting or needing in your community at that time, they had built in the Greenwood District. And yes, that did cause some envy among whites, especially poor whites, who were struggling to find jobs, who commented that they could stand atop the structures in downtown Tulsa and look over into the Greenwood District and see black men and women driving cars and dressing in their finest apparel and walking into their own businesses, their own homes that they owned. Home ownership was actually, um, there was more home ownership in the black community than in the white community. Yes. Very, very, very wonderful information. And a lot of people don't know about the Greenwood District and know about all of the prosperity and all of the black excellence that was here. And just, uh, you know, just expand upon about black excellence. The house was named after Mabel B. Little. Why was it so important to tell her story about her being a pioneer in the Greenwood District? So Mabel B. Little was actually one of the North Tulsa pioneers and community members that came forward during a Model Cities community meeting to say that we want to save this home, um, which had been set for demolition. Mabel B. Little was actual actually an entrepreneur herself who had her own um, beauty um, parlor and beauty school, I believe. She was well-loved and many people um, look up to her and respect her and honor her legacy. So after she worked so hard to help preserve this home, when the home was dedicated, it was named in her, her honor. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. So this is the couple's formal dining room. And when we renovated the home, many other community members helped to donate furnishings fine china and silver to restore the home. But this would have been their formal dining room and we'll take a look at their kitchen. Let's go. Mr. Mackey's effort to make this home especially convenient for his wife, Lucy Mackey, who was very short, very petite, and so the counters and the cabinets were made to be especially convenient for her. And this is where she would have done all of her cooking. And there's a, also a second um, restroom, which was unusual for um, a home to have an upstairs and downstairs restroom. So I'd love to take you upstairs and show you their master bedroom. I think you're gonna be impressed. Let's see it. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> you were right. Oh my goodness, look at this master master bed. Oh my goodness. And this was in 1921. They rebuilt their home by 1927, and this is the home that they rebuilt. And I wanna show you a piece. This actually dates, these are wedding slippers that date 1922. Wow, those are beautiful. And this is a beaded shawl that I rarely pick up. And then there's a blouse that goes to it. And 
Thursday was maid's day off. So they would spend the afternoon getting their hair done and getting dressed, dressed in their finest apparel. They would parade for each other up and down Greenwood, going into the various nightclubs. There were jazz and blues clubs, the restaurants, the hotels, the movie theaters. There was a ton of things to do on Greenwood at that time. And Miss Mackey and some of her girlfriends from over in the windows would stand at the window and wave at people as they walked up and down Greenwood dressed in their finest apparel. Um, the men dressed in their suits and hats and the women, they said at that time, weren't seen out in public without their hats and their gloves. So there are a number of hats that are sitting on her dresser there. Those are very nice. <laughs> and just um, to the north is, this is an old Winger sewing machine. Wow. And this would have been her sitting room or dressing room. There's another um, example of what they would have worn during that time, during the period prior to the massacre and again by 1925 when they rebuilt. This is wonderful. I see all of the original furniture is here still intact and it's very impressive. That's a, a typewriter from, from that time, well two typewriters and this wonderful chest and trunk. <laughs> and so this is, would be the sitting room where she would get dressed. Oh, and an iron, I love it. Yes, and I asked the young people when they come through, um, this would, have been in the mid 40s when actually Black Wall Street had been rebuilt and they were um, seeing a lot of prosperity and growth and development in this area. This is the iron that they used. And I asked the young people to pick it up because they ironed everything and it is extremely heavy. There's also a, a projector in some of the movies that they would have watched during that time. So you just made mention in the 1940s that Black Wall Street here in the Greenwood District was rebuilt. Was it rebuilt and revitalized to the same capacity that it was before 1921? So the massacre took place in 1921. By 1925, they had completely rebuilt the district and we saw more businesses, Black-owned businesses in the Greenwood District than we had prior to the massacre. And the district would thrive through the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, up until several things happened. One was the city of Tulsa building the expressway through the heart of the Greenwood District, which seems to have happened throughout our nation. And it hurt the small business owners that were living near that expressway. Some were forced to relocate um, their businesses. And the other thing was the end of segregation. The dollar would circulate at least 19 times in the Greenwood District before leaving this community. The end of segregation meant that the dollar was now being spent outside of the Greenwood District, which caused those small businesses to suffer. And when we asked some of our survivors why they would spend their money in white-owned stores um, and businesses, they said that it wasn't that the product or service was any better. It was simply that now they had a right to do that and they wanted to exercise that right, not understanding the long-term consequences of taking money outside of, of this community. So eventually, urban renewal came through, which 
um, is often referred to as urban removal. Um, the promise uh, originally, I believe, was to rebuild the Greenwood District, rebuild um, Black Wall Street, and that didn't actually happen. So what we have now at the corner of Greenwood and Archer, which was once the heart of the Greenwood District, is a remnant of the businesses that once were. And we are seeing revitalization in this area. We have more than 30 business owners in the Greenwood District. So we are seeing um, Black Wall Street revitalized to some degree. However, we may never have a physical Black Wall Street, but Black Wall Street is more of an idea. It's a mentality. It's a way of thinking. It's a movement. It's a movement. Yes. So, Ms. Michelle, thank you so much for showing us the second floor of this wonderful property, this wonderful heritage house. You have taught me and everyone so much and I'm just truly 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 grateful do you have any parting words for us thank you no I am just so honored to be able to share this home and to share a little bit of the history that we have not been exposed to that has not been taught in our history classes or included in the textbooks so thank you so much for taking the time to come and learn more about our history I'm Katia Adler host of the global story over the last 25 years I've covered conflicts in the Middle East political and economic crises in Europe drug cartels in Mexico now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening why and what it all means follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., 
and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. We want to thank Miss Michelle Burdix again for having us here at the Heritage House. I'm Mara Hall with the Money Moves podcast, and this is another Untold Story. So welcome. Welcome to the Greenwood Cultural Center. I am so excited to be able to share the exhibit with you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So O.W. Gurley, when he moved here around 1906, he purchased 40 acres of land at the corner, near the corner of Greenwood and Archer. Many African-Americans came to Greenwood during the Trail of Tears. When Native Americans were moving into Oklahoma Territory, some tribes actually owned black slaves, which is something that I didn't learn about until I came to work here. Absolutely. And because of the treaty with the tribes and the U.S. uh, government, those slaves were made freedmen and they were given allotments of land. And so in a very short period of time, you had African-Americans who were landowners who then began to build their homes on those um, properties Mm -hmm. and Oklahoma would have more all-black townships than any other state. When Oklahoma became a state, the first law that it passed was the Jim Crow law, which segregated the races. So you had African-Americans who were moving into the Greenwood District who saw this land as the promised land. They were looking to escape the oppressive South They were looking for new opportunities and looking um, for their freedom. And so this was their opportunity to build their homes and to build their businesses. So African-Americans were actually moving here from all over the country. Many of them moved here with skills. They moved here and were educated. And so they came and began to build this community. But because their money was not welcome um, in White on Tulsa, Uh, they brought their money back to Greenwood. Now, about 75% of the community still worked in the service industry. So they were making money and had money to spend um, and had a need for clothing and and housewares and food and groceries and et cetera. And so they would spend their money in the Greenwood district and that dollar would circulate time and time again. 19 times. 19 times, (laughs) yes, ma'am. But what's important to know, when we are often asked, how do they build Black Wall Street? And people are really interested about where do they get their money and where do they get their resources? But what's most important to know about how Black Wall Street was created, based on the conversations that we've had with our survivors years ago, when we spoke with them about it, they said, We had such a love for our community and a love for each other that when one person got their business up and off the ground, they would grab the hand of their brother or sister and pull them up alongside them. They shared resources. They shared opportunities. Lifting as we climb. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so in a very short period of time, they had created this prosperous, thriving Black-owned business district where men and women own their own businesses. They said, in fact, that everyone... Um, was making money. There was money to be made. 
I'd like to show you one of the images of the Greenwood District. Oh, you're okay. This is Greenwood, 1917. What would later became known as the Black Wall Street of America. These are all black-owned businesses lining the streets. Could you describe the picture? Yes. So in the picture, here at the corner, this is near the corner of Greenwood and Archer, um, facing north. And this is a, a picture that um, appeared in Mary Jones Parrish's book, The Events of the Tulsa Disaster, which was published in 1922. So Mary Jones Parrish was a young black woman who had moved to um, Greenwood. She was a reporter. And one of the things that she did immediately following the massacre was to begin to go and collect oral histories, to collect people's stories and to document what had taken place. But this is a picture from 19... 17 and you can see uh, the dentist building that would have been that was there and all of the other buildings lining the streets and several cars um, along the road on the black wall street memorial which we unveiled today after it's been renovated there's a list of the hundreds of black owned businesses that were in the greenwood district this is a photograph of uh, jd mann and the grocery store um, that was near King and Greenwood in 1919. There were several um, grocery stores in the Greenwood district owned by African-Americans. He actually um, was one of a number of brothers that um, all owned grocery stores. One of my favorite people to discuss is Simon Barry. Okay. Simon Barry was uh, a private pilot who owned his own plane. That's him in his plane. And below is his partner, J.L. Northington. They transported rich white oil men who would come into downtown Tulsa. And it's, it is said that they earned up to $500 a day transporting oil men in their plane. He also owned a jitney service. Um, and there are images of uh, those buses. I think he started with the single vehicle and expanded to a jitney service and it is said that the public transportation system that the city of Tulsa owns today they purchased from Simon Barry with the agreement that they would keep their black mechanics and black bus drivers but it is remarkable to think that there was a black man in 1921 that was a private pilot and owned his own plane Absolutely. so these are survivors of the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre. This exhibit is about 10 years old, and at that time, these individuals were still willing and able to share something that they remembered about the massacre or about Black Wall Street. Some of them were very young, and so they sh shared memories of what their parents or grandparents shared with them. Some were much older. Daddy Clark died at 109 years old. He was a teenager during the massacre, so he had a vivid memory of what he experienced here in the Greenwood District during the massacre. Under each photograph is a caption, and since this exhibit was put on display, each of these survivors have since passed. So one of the things that happened during um, or immediately following the massacre was the city of Tulsa set up three internment sites. 
There were sites where African-Americans were held. The entire population of the African-American community was 10 to 12,000 men, women, and children. And about 6,000 of those people were held at those sites. And what they said was that it was for their protection. But what it did was leave their homes and businesses defenseless so that the white rioters could then go in and take whatever valuables they wanted and then set everything else on fire. And so eventually, several days, a week or so later, those individuals who had been held were released and able to return to the Greenwood District. However, what they returned to was their homes and businesses smoldering. What they returned to was seeing their businesses and homes completely destroyed. Many of them had nothing but the clothes on their backs. Many people were able to flee. Of course, there were many um, all-black towns nearby. Some people were able to flee the Greenwood District. Um, it is said that they ran along the uh, railroad tracks and they were able to escape before being captured. There were others who were hidden in nearby churches. It has been said that there's a residential area nearby where whites were actually hiding blacks in their um, basements um, and saving lives, lives by doing that. There were um, especially several nearby churches, but individuals who risked their lives to protect um, African-Americans. What is unknown is what happened to a large number of African-Americans who were simply never heard from again. And in some of the remembrances, they speak of a father or an uncle or grandfather who left to help protect the Greenwood District who was simply never heard from again. And they commented, I know my father wouldn't have just left us, but I don't know what happened to him. Now currently the city of Tulsa um, is conducting a mass graves investigation. We believe that there are several mass grave sites in Tulsa and there could be some in surrounding communities. Those are some of the reports um, that we've had. And so the most widely recognized number is that about 300 people lost their lives. But we don't know if that number could not be um, significantly larger than that. Um, they are set to resume the mass graves investigation June 1st um, at Oaklawn Cemetery. They did identify, I believe, 13 um, caskets there, what they believe are the remains of 13 individuals. Um, and sub, I believe two of those people were given a proper um, burial. However, there are several other sites to research to determine if they are also a mass grave site. And even the bodies that are at Oaklawn Cemetery, the research has to show in the investigation, once it is completed, will show whether they are victims of the uh, massacre based on whether there are any trauma to the remains, et cetera. We are also working to help identify descendants. Because of the technology that we have today, we're hopeful that um, we will be able to connect uh, those remains possibly with descendants. Through genealogy and DNA. Yes. So the legacy of 
many of these survivors is their resilience, yes. their courage, their strength, and their determination. The fact that following the massacre, what many people still don't know about this story is that the history of the Greenwood District is not just that there was a massacre. It was that Black Wall Street was rebuilt in five short years. And even though they faced many obstacles, the black community came together and worked together to rebuild their community. And that's the story, the legacy that we want people to remember. How important it was for them to share their resources, to work together, work together share their money, um, to share ideas and to support one another. And essentially, that is how they were able to build Black Wall Street initially and then, then rebuild it once it had been destroyed. When our children learn about the history of the Greenwood District, we want them to feel empowered and proud and elevated. And in fact, sometimes when I see young people who come to learn about this history and they learn that blacks were Many blacks were well-educated. They were savvy business owners. Um, you can almost see their chest puff up and their shoulders rear back because this is a part of history that they didn't know. This is a part of the story that has not been told historically. And so that's always been important for me. Now, our survivors, um, when they were approached years ago, the Tulsa Race Riot Commission was formed um, somewhere near 1996 or so to study the events of the massacre because so much of what we knew was based on oral histories and the few documents that had been produced. And so several of the survivors went to the state capitol to hear um, the commission's final report. And I was there when several survivors were approached by reporters who said, you know, we know you want something. You know, what exactly are you, what exactly are you asking for? And they said, of course we believe that reparations are due for what our families lost, their homes and their businesses, their lives even, but what we want more than anything is for our children and grandchildren to finally know that there's more to black history than slavery and the civil rights movement, that black history didn't start with sla slavery. We want them to know that we were a successful people, we were a strong people, a courageous people, and we worked together, we supported one another. And if we ever hope to rebuild the Greenwood District, if we ever hope to rebuild a Black Wall Street here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or anywhere in our nation, it is going to take us getting back to a place where we love ourselves enough to love one another, where we're able to support and encourage each other, where we share ideas and resources and information, it's going to take us getting back to a place where we believe in being unified and rebuilding together. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in, Money Moves audience. If you want more or a recap of this episode, please go to thebankgreenwood.com and check out the Money Moves podcast blog. Money Moves is an iHeartRadio podcast powered by Greenwood, executive produced by Sunwise Media Inc. 
For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa, and we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz, and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.